Just a quick warning that we will be discussing the most intense things ever. So there's going to be talk of murder, abuse, very, very toxic masculinity, maybe toxic femininity, uh, sexual abuse, child abuse, pedophilia, torture, hooks, blood, weird patriarchal conceptions of virginity, Eve, and how every single thing is apparently her fault and she's ruined the world. So, so much stuff. So this episode is definitely not a light one. And if you're sensitive to any of these topics, please skip these episodes. Mercy me, the night is long. Mercy me, the night is long. everybody and welcome to a hopeless endeavor a joanna newsome podcast this is part two of our gigantic series on go along so let's just jump right in without further ado because we have a fuck ton to say about go along so here we go yeah okay next verse yes please just before we read the next verse um sam and i were just talking over the little break that we took and we were saying like Actually, Sam, do you want to just say what you had uh, said to me about anger? <laughs> so there was uh, a post on the shitposting Facebook group recently where someone had asked, like, what is a song? What is the Joanna Newsom song that you listen to when you're, like, so angry, like, you don't even have words? And my answer was, go long, yeah. number one, and does not suffice, and monkey and bear for the reason, uh, for the verse from this song, uh, what a woman does is opens is open doors. It is not a question of locking or unlocking, um, but also because they have this similar theme of, like, uh, you know, the gendered man is trash, yeah. and that uh, anger... Uh, you know, comes from monkey, comes from Bluebeard in this song, and it does not suffice is very much the end of that relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like the being fucking fed up with it in all of those yeah. songs. I agree with all of Sam's choices. I would also add have one on me. Um, and I just realized this over the break as we were talking, but hilariously but also hilarious in a way that makes you just want to cry because fuck life for women like the part of have one on me that gets me going every single time is when she says meanwhile I will raise my own glass to how you made me fast and expendable and I will drink to your excellent health and your cruelty mm-hmm. and I just noticed as I was like thinking through that line during the break that like the word expendable is in there too as it was in the verse that we just talked about Um, expendable limbs and then also how you made me fast and expendable just like the idea that like you're not taking me seriously like you're treating me as something that you can use and then like dispose of and like fuck that um yeah it's such if not exactly the same sentiment um because in the blueprint story the the bride is fast and expendable like, you know, they meet, they're married immediately. He leaves, he's back before dawn yeah. and he's, he's about <laughs> to murder her. Like that um, night, that fucking night. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we have strong feelings. We were just like, that came up during the break. Cause we were both saying like, 
this song just means so much to us that like it's stressful to think that we're not doing it justice because it's just so meaningful and important and like powerful and like has given both of us so much in our own lives that we don't want to talk about it well. And how like, you know, in our other professional and like academic aspects, we don't feel guilty about much. But like, holy shit, do we feel guilty if we don't feel like we did the song justice? Yes. <laughs> when I'm defending my very particular view of the nature of pleasure and pain and how that contributes to very stupid specific theories of well-being, I'm like, I don't really care if this is wrong. I'm just arguing for the sake of arguing. This, I'm like, no, this means something. Like, it speaks to people and is important in a way that nothing else I engage with in my life is. That's not true. But it's super important. and Almost. Yeah. Almost true. Yeah. Um, anyways, I invite you, Sam, to read the next verse for us. <laughs> okay. I have the lyric book from the vinyl with me. Oh, so yeah. here we go. We both want... The very same thing. We are praying, I am the one to save you. But you don't even own your own violence. Run away from home, your beard is still blue. With the loneliness of you mighty men. With your jaws and fists and guitars and pens. And your sugar lip. But I've never been to the fire pits with you mighty men. This song is ridiculous. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Just these lines, man. Like, oh, and, and the dynamic behind the whole thing. Like, we both want the very same thing. We're both praying that I am the one to save you. <sighs> Which is interesting in that it gives... Uh, what am I trying to say? We are both praying I'm alone to save you because it gives our Bluebeard character like a little bit of softness. Yes. Like that maybe, and feel free to disagree with me on this, at least for the narrator in Go Long, the intention was originally not to be violent but that our bluebeard character is like grasping at straws in some sense um that this new bride this new partner is some kind of anecdote for um whatever violent history they're coming from yeah so i don't think that that's wrong i think that that it's exactly that she's supposed to be the anecdote. So I, th not the anecdote, the antidote. Um, antidote, yeah. <laughs> I, I think you said antidote. I think I just added the C there because Joanna. But, <laughs> um, but no, I I think that that's right. But the 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 thing that gets me so much about that about that being right is that I think it shifts the focus or like retells the story in a way. Um, as doing this thing that I fucking love, obviously, which is to position the obvious villain in this story who is still the person who does wrong and who's killing women and is, like, inexcusable, but also positions that person as himself a victim. And in this situation, yeah. it's a victim of these societal 
pressures, right? And so I think she's not even like subtly referring to masculinity here. I think she's explicitly mm-hmm. referring to it. I mean, throughout this whole song, but particularly this part, right? Um, in the parts where she says, like the loneliness of you mighty men with your mm-hmm. jaws, fists, guitars, pens, and then this mm-hmm. like other thing, this sugar lip thing. We can get to it. But um, the idea that he doesn't even own his own violence is like, to me at least, and I, I'm super open to people arguing with me about this because um, I'm not confident, but to me at least it's that he's not even to blame for his own violence. Like he has been trained and programmed by the culture in which we all live to be yeah. masculine, right? Which is to be aggressive and violent and, you know, at least in this toxic way. Um yeah. Yeah. And I think that point is driven home by the line, run away from home, your beard is still blue. So like if the societal expectation, if these super gendered and toxic roles are coming from uh, this like societally construct- constructed uh, interpretation of what home is and what a man's role is and what a woman's role is, even if you leave that you're still impacted by it. Yes. Your beard is still blue. By any other name, um, a J is still blue too. Like you can't yes. escape it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I actually, that actually helps me a little bit to understand the line, run away from home, your beard is still blue. Cause I don't quite get, like I, to me, I was thinking like, wait, so like in contrast with the narrator's association with home that we got in, in California, um, she's telling him to run away from home what like for his own protection because his beard's still blue and people at home are going to judge him for that or but no I like your interpretation that like it's yeah that this has been so ingrained in us that like we take these sort of toxic gender expectations and roles with us no matter where we go kind of or like you can't maybe be in a home setting with me maybe if these are going to still be present in us, but also like how do we escape them? I don't know. I'm not making sense. You are. Um, And to build on that, I think that like the specific structure of the words here is important too. So it's run away from home. Your beard is still blue with the loneliness mm. of you mighty men. So it's like these attributes mm. of the mighty men, the jaws, the fist, the guitars and pens are coloring uh, the beard. Interesting. Um, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say other than like. Um, that those traits are what the blueness is here. That those traits are the thing that's being like the isolating factor, right? It's like the masculine yes. traits that are causing this isolation to either happen or like have to happen. And that it's something that our narrator in Go Long hasn't experienced. And I think it's uh, one of the points of Samir's uh, submission that... Uh, this is like kind of a sarcastic thing um, that the the mention of mighty men here mm. is sarcastic, uh, at least in one of the instances here. Uh, I, I would assume specifically like I've never been to the fire pits with you mighty men. Yeah. 
Like, um, that's something that clearly I haven't been invited to because I am not in this Bluebeard Mighty Club. club. Yeah. With you club. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, I agree with that totally. And thanks, Samir, for all your contributions to this episode. Um, Yeah, I think that the use of Mighty there is super interesting. I think that Samir is right that it is, like, sarcastic. I also think, though, that, like, she might be even, like, even if we imagine that she is saying it genuinely about, like, you guys are Mighty. But, like, the way that she's saying it is, like, dismissive in this way that, like, sort of makes me think, like, yeah, but that's not all that matters. Like, even if you're mighty, like, there has to be an end to that or something beyond that, right? It's not just all about you being tough and then that's the be-all, end-all. And this 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 line of the fire pits, mm. too, I just want to link to, like, the keys. This is not, like, the fire pits are not a room that our narrator has a key for. Mm. This is also something that I think if given the opportunity, anyone would want to explore, but it's something that's locked yeah. to her. Um, and I'm assuming all of these these things are too. Uh, the fists, the guitars, the pens, the jaws, the sugar lip. Um, that these all are tied into not only the blue beard, but like these like, oh, you know what it makes me think of? In the Colleen episode, I'm just going to look at my notes here. Mm-hmm. Um, Melissa... Uh, Marjuano of Blessing All the Birds. Why isn't it coming up? Um, had made this really incredible point about like spaces that were accessible for men and spaces that were accessible for women. Um, and it was like the land is accessible to women because of this and the water is accessible to men because of this. this yes. This. Yeah. Um, I'm going to see if I can find it. The, like, staying put versus exploring and going out and traveling. Um, yes. It reminds me of Mulan, too, in a very dumb way, but, like, where the world of war and the world of fighting and, like, defending and, like, adventuring even is, like, the man's world. Mm-hmm. Also, this is such a theme in Divers, but um, is the man's world. And, uh, you know, Mulan has to dress up as a man in order to take any part in it and regardless of whether our narrator wants to do it or not like I don't think she's giving us an indication here that she wishes she could go to the fire pit she's just no. yeah she's just commenting like this is not something I have access to or experience in so like I don't know what it's like to be you I think there is like this element of humility here where she's acknowledging that she doesn't have the epistemic access into what it is like to be socialized as a man Sorry, I'm just searching. No, take your time. Oh, yeah, exactly what I said. (laughs) Land as the oppression of women, the sea as freedom. These borders of land and water I didn't even need to look. Yeah, but good memory, though. I am impressed by that. Men as dominating nature and the earth, women's bodies as cultivated land. There's like some Mm. weird ownership. And there too. Oh, women encoded as imminent and immobile. Oh yeah, yeah. That was the line I was thinking of. And men are encoded as transcendent and modal, can, mm. and mobile can cross both land and waters. And that's really true in the Angela Carter retelling too, right? Because he's yes. leaving to get on a ship to go explore something, and she's stuck yes. there with the keys, and that's that's all she has. She's on land. He's in the water. Um, even though he doesn't even probably have a fucking place to go. 
Yeah, like <laughs> it's all a ruse. Yeah, but he could, I guess, is the important part. Like he could he go could. wherever the fuck he wants. And like she yeah. like doesn't have a choice. Even though like this the story isn't super clear about what year it takes place in. So I'm like, what would happen if she just like decided to go hang out with her friends? Like it's just not an option for her and we don't know why. Uh so I'm assuming it's not an option because the palace that they're living in is um surrounded by water like yeah. i don't know if it's specifically an island but it's inaccessible right in, right right like a pretty straightforward way um and then you know if there's staff working at the palace too i'm sure they have instructions to keep her there right um right if that were attempted yeah um, yeah um no, I think that's a fantastic point about like that that mobile slash like mobile mobility of men versus immobility of women being reflected in the Bluebeard story. I think that's a hundred percent going on there too, and central to this dynamic of like masculine versus feminine here. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also very so. Oh my god, I have so many things to say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know where to start. So I I think that the um traits that she lists as sort of like the paradigms of masculinity are really interesting here. So even though this might be a bit lame, let's just go through them one by one. Like jaws. Sure. Mm -hmm. I just think of like, you know, a man's square jaw, like stereotypically this mm -hmm. like very strong jaw. Um, but also like, I don't know, is there something threatening about jaws? Yeah. I think of eating fucking meat. Yeah. And like that dominance over something else. Yeah. Like um, Hunter, the like, uh, but bacon. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. That whole like bro energy. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And like the, the violence that is tied to that. Yeah. I felt really dumb because I just in researching this looked up the definition of jaw just because I was like, I wouldn't be surprised if like, it, you know, there are just like other references that she's making. And I didn't find like another reference or anything, but mm -hmm. um, uh, one of the things I thought was interesting was like used to suggest the notion of being in danger from something such as death or defeat. So the example sure. being victory was snatched from the jaws of defeat, which is, Whoa. yeah, there's like this scary thing there. I love that though. I love that like, for the thousandth fucking time, <laughs> you know, this teeny tiny word that she has chosen to place here can mean something so expansive. Yes. Uh, within the context of this entire song, like the jaw as a threat. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. It is a fucking threat for sure. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't doubt that for a second. Yeah. Um, and the jaw as like uh, a piece of skeleton too, right? Like oh. as... Uh, as something that would have been found in the chamber as well. Yeah. And then, like, we could just go on and talk about, like, um, a bone thrown from the void or, like, <laughs> um, any of that, like. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, the skeletal imagery, which is, like, bluebeard centrism. <laughs> I just Googled Bones Joanna Newsom and one of my favorite videos of all times <laughs> of all time came up, which is like a super hardcore band on stage. Have you seen this? No. <laughs> oh my god. What is it? <laughs> it's like a hardcore band 
on stage and you would expect them to be doing like I don't know, like screamo <laughs> or something. But in fact, send it to you and you can just live react to this. Whoever made this, it's in the chat of, of Zoom. Here. Yeah, I'm just opening it on the YouTubes. Like there's a mosh pit. <laughs> that was fucking incredible. Oh my God, that was so funny. Also, only skin's so good. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> But like jaws and fists and guitars. Yeah, there you go. So, my head banging could have gone right in there. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, uh, sorry, love- took us off track there. No, that's okay. It was a hundred percent worth it. <laughs> Anyways, um, fists. I didn't find anything like double entendre to talk about. Just you know, fists being violent, and also just maybe like if we're talking about like the physicality of like cis men at least stereotypically being bigger than women so in their jaws and their fists and then I thought the guitars and pens thing was really interesting because like Joanna is the fucking master of pens I don't care like over any man that has ever lived so it's not that pens are just in the domain of men but maybe it's that like a part of this and maybe even an overlapping part, but a part of being masculine is this like broody nature that I think she's pointing to here, which Mm. is like, you know, singer songwriter you're like, you know, I can express my sorrow not by communicating with my partner, but by, you know, in this performative aspect, I guess. Fists also makes me think of, and I'm sure we talked about this. What was it? Last episode? Yeah, last episode was Jackrabbits, but the fists of ham. And I scrabbled at your chest like a mute with my fists of ham. Just like that that brute energy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Brute is a good way to put it. And then sugar lip. And she's like, but in all of that hardness, there's this softness that I have access. And like this is, this is I think, a theme throughout this whole thing. This whole song is um, – This, I don't even know how to express this exactly, but I've long had a theory, which I might have expressed on this podcast before, but I think might be just not, I've been like for 10 years talking about this as though it's my theory, even though I'm sure people think this just more generally, but where because men are socialized to have this like very hard exterior and to like not, you know, cry in front of their friends or like talk to their friends about how they're hurting or like whatever, to not be soft to other people, that once you're in a relationship with a man, they sort of have this cultural okay to be at least somewhat soft with their partner. And because there's this one person that men are like at least somewhat culturally permitted to like unleash all of the like human emotions that you've been suppressing because like society doesn't let you express them because there's this one person that you are sort of allowed to funnel this into they get like the brunt of it and so like all this just to say that like I think there's this huge expectation then on that one person in your life in this case it's a woman um to hold all of that for you right and to like 
be the person to like walk you through that. And like, it's important that you're able to express that, but it's also just unfair, not of you to express yourself, but unfair as a cultural societal dynamics between these like gender expectations that the woman, uh, at least in hetero relationships is supposed to sit there and just like take all that on herself. But then also that's what we're expected to do. Right. And so I Mm -hmm. think to me that speaks to that first line of this verse, which is we both want the very same thing. We are praying, I am the one to save you. Like that is what we both want to be able to happen. But it's just so unclear that it's a possible thing. It's just too much to put on one person. It's too much of a burden too, right? And it makes me think of like the end of Monkey and Bear when she drops her fur and she drops that burden of all of these expectations. Um in the very same vein as this. Yeah. Um, that she is in the same way expected to, you know, carry yes. everything that monkey monkey is giving her uh, willingly and happily and without consent. And yeah, um, yeah I 100% agreed that it's the same, the same vibe here. That um, those roles are very strong here. That's a great comparison to Monkey and Bear. I think you're right. Like these expectations um, that that are burdening me, but like also she wants them, right? Like we are both praying I'm the one to save you. Mm-hmm. And that's, an, I think, an interesting too sort of gender role reversal where it's supposed to be like, you know, in these Bluebeard tales, it's like the brother that saves the woman, right? And like in all fairy tales for all fucking history, it's the man yeah. that saves the woman. But here it's like, because I'm that one person for you, I'm allowed to, we're both allowed to want this. We're both allowed to want me to be there to rescue you. And it also, it presupposes too, like you need rescuing. Like you're not okay putting on this front for everybody, but like, like the beard still blue part, like you're so far into this now. We're both so far into these, so enmeshed in these gender expectations and socialization that like, it's really unclear if there's actually a way out. <laughs> if there's actually a right way to navigate this now. And it all just seems here too so heavy for the two of them to take on. Yeah. Like to put that saving on any individual is way too big a burden to carry, but especially for her to like, um, you know, to pray for that. It's too much. It's too fucking much. Yes. And also, even if it were possible, even if like, which I don't think it is because like of we've talked about this before, but like adaptive preferences, like, right, if we're socialized to be to want certain things because of our genders, like then we actually want those things. Right. And like we actually are this way. It's not just us fighting against our desires all the time. It's that like we get these desires instilled within us. Society makes us want certain things because of the way that we're raised. And so. I don't even think it's possible for like to properly navigate our way out of these gender dynamics in a way that's just problemless or that can like save somebody. But even if it were possible, that's still such a shitty relationship dynamic. I don't, it's not a healthy relationship to premise it upon one person being able to fucking save the other one. Like it's so, yeah. And it, it that, that itself is like a gendered thing. It's just, it's, oh, yeah, God, it's impossible. It's a lot of pressure on, one person and I think that's what's so annoying about these Bluebeard stories too is that like it's always always in all of the retellings that I have even in 
this Edna St. Vincent Millay poem that Melissa Martirano references uh, in one of her posts. Let me just read it through. Uh, maybe not in that one, but in every other one. <laughs> it's someone else who comes to save her. Yeah. It's never uh, the bride, the main character herself. Um, I mean, I do like in The Bloody Chamber that it's her mom. Yeah. That it's not like uh, a traditional Prince Charming and, you know, like it is with the brothers or yeah, um, whatever else. But, yeah, it's not like a fair... Uh, a fair thing to pray for or like a a fair burden to carry. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and then I think that this theme of like masculinity goes on through the whole song too, like of how do we navigate my expectations of myself and of you given that I am a woman, you are a man, and how mm-hmm. do we navigate you're not being okay in your masculinity because it's not healthy and it's like very toxic to expect you to keep all of your emotions to yourself your entire life and to treat women as though they're just expendable limbs and objects and to you know like be emotionless about all of that like how do we do this it's impossible (laughs) and we've talked about this with previous songs obviously but it's this is just such a nice driving home of that point and it's frustrating. It's frustrating for both the narrator and I think the the man involved. And as you're saying this, maybe we've said this already too, but like if we're considering uh, Charles Perrault as someone who was maybe, we obviously need to research this more, but like somewhat liberal in his beliefs for the time, what are the chances that he wrote this as a retelling of toxic masculinity? <laughs> And as, like, a warning of, like, you can't talk about shit. You can't resolve your own shit. This is what men do. Um, I don't know. I don't know either, but I want to look into it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Someone's written about this. Yeah, I'm sure. sure. Yeah, I'm sure that they have. Okay, um, I think that's all I have to say about this verse. Yep, probably. <laughs> Me too. Do you want to do the next one and then stop? Uh, sure. Um, we could do more if you want to. I would love to research more about the Macomb verse. Me too. Verse. <laughs> That's why I wanted to stop after that. Uh, yeah. So, perfect. no, I'm fine with that if you are. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Uh, is it me? Uh, yeah. Okay. So this next short verse is. This is only three verse. It's crazy. <laughs> and okay. All this is all based on us not having researched line by line. So that we're only three in is incredible. But yeah. She writes, Who made you this way? Who made you this way? Who is going to bear your beautiful children? Do you think you can just stop when you're ready for a change? Who will take care of you when you're old and dying? Ugh. And we Ugh. stop on such a precipice of musicality here because <laughs> yes. the next verse is huge. Um, yeah, it's incredible. This this <sighs> verse slayed me the like from the very first time I heard it to right now. Like it is so 
heartbreaking. I think, so I had mentioned at the beginning of this um, episode that I think that the genius uh, entries for this song are abysmal, but <laughs> <laughs> one thing that I thought was interesting uh, was, um, so the different emphases that she puts on this same line, um, who made you yes. this way, who made you this way. So like one is who made mm-hmm. you this way and one is who made you this way, right? Yes. So the to me at least the first one sounds like like who made you like this? Like uh, w- as opposed to like – so like what did someone – do to you or like who hurt you you know to like mm-hmm. make you like this um in contrast with like I don't even know what like um I see it as like the greater structures versus like the individual yeah, like what yeah. were the ABC factors yes. that caused this and then like what choices yes. did you specifically make to be wearing these shoes to be in these shoes right now like how the fuck <laughs> did you and you, the greater yeah. you get here. That's that's a great way to put it, I think. Yeah, like who made you this way? Uh, I was asking more about the individual. And then who made you this way? I was asking more about these like societal structures that have sort of molded him into what he is. Or maybe even like godliness. Who knows? Um, yeah. Um, but like one asking maybe like were there women that came before me that like made you to like interact with the world like this? Like, what is this? Or like, was it your parents? Whereas the other one is like, Jesus, like this, I don't know. I don't even know. Um, I, I give up on trying to express that difference. If you can't intuit it, then just never mind. Um, Cause I'm not even sure if that's a thing, but but anyways, like whatever, whatever it is, just the, the, the asking of like, or like the marveling that she's doing yeah. at his like, you're different than me. Like, wh- how did this happen? <laughs> like, how did it happen mm-hmm. that you are the way that you are? Because like, wow. Wow. Uh, very much so. <laughs> I also see it as like, I framed it in my mind as like, in the whatever interpretation of the Bluebeard story, after finding the bodies, uh, and obviously, you know, Bluebeard is on his way back. They've met and he's seen what happened because one of the most fucked up parts of this, what are we calling it? A legend? A fairy tale? Yeah. Is like the blood on the key or the blood on the egg. One of the most fucked up parts, and I said this to Nikki before we recorded of, or maybe we were recording, (laughs) uh, was when in every version of the story, whatever the, the egg or the key, it falls into blood. And in the Carter version, he picks up, she tries to wash the blood off the key. It's magical. It won't come off. And he picks up the fucking key and he places it against her forehead and it like marks her forever um and i just imagine this verse is like a conversation right before this happens like either with herself or with bluebeard and her saying like in that like disgusting marveling like shock 
the immediate trauma of finding all of these women who made you this way who made you this way like if you keep killing all of your wives who is going to bear your beautiful children yeah i like knowing that you're next in line oh the line she uses is so good too it's like uh joining the sister wives uh in the carter story yes um the faded sisterhood of his wives um faded sisterhood like you think you can just stop like this is obviously something that has become a pattern for you like what what makes you think that this is like a behavior that you can just stop when you feel like it yeah if you keep killing all of these women who came to take care of you, who will do that when you're old and dying? Like you're in the most selfish way, like digging your own grave in a sense. Like, you know, these, these roles are telling us that I'm here to take care of you. I'm here to bear children for you. But if you keep along this awful, violent, disgusting path who will do all of that yeah like it's in your self-interest to not do this (laughs) like yeah it's like not just bad for the women who are being killed but like what are you doing like what do you think is gonna happen to you if i can't appeal to my own humanity to get you to listen to me and like treat me like a person like think about yourself then this is patriarchy is bad for you too man yeah (laughs) um exactly I like the idea. It's so dismissive. Like the you think you can just stop when you're ready for a change. Like the idea of being like ready for a change is like, you know, I moved houses because I was ready for a change or like yeah. neighborhoods or something or like, you know, got new jeans because I was ready for a change. The idea that you just throw away a woman her whole life in murdering them, but also just in like a less literal way, like the relationship, right? Like just you throw away your uh, role with that person, your life with that person, even if you're not killing them, right? Just discarding whatever you had together when you're ready for a change. It's such a like on a whim, like, I don't know, I guess like I'm just restless. And so I'm just going to keep this like, relentless like rambling right this relentless just like making my way through life hoping for the best um and she's like no you can like plan to have someone by your side like this is like more than just a I'm more than a pair of jeans that go out of fashion one day like there's something deeper here and I don't know how you're not seeing that and again (laughs) sorry to bring this up again but not really It's like Princess fucking Diana, who was like, how dare you? How dare the structures that be? And how dare you, Charles, cheat on me with Camilla for our entire relationship when you know that my job here is to bear your children? I'm supposed to give you an heir to the throne. And like the disrespect. The disrespect. I can't. Yes. Yes. Man. Okay. Uh, this is I had put so just quick you're wrong about side note here I had put off they have like a four or five part series on Jessica Simpson's autobiography and I had no oh. interest in it because I was like I don't care at all about Jessica Simpson 
uh, like at all. Um, but I just listened to the whole thing over the last couple of days and man, it is so good. But one of the things that reminded me of what you were just saying about Princess Diana and what you're wrong about is saying about her um, is um, that in Jessica Simpson's book, there's like, she has this relationship with John Mayer and John Mayer, it details just what a fucking dickhead this guy seems like, at least according to Jessica Simpson, where he's just constantly like emailing her being like, oh, please be with me. And then like the second that she's like, yeah, okay. He's like, ah, actually like I, uh, like, I'm not interested anymore. But he keeps doing this thing where he treats her as this like expendable thing that like he's interested in only when she's not. And then like just like does crazy things. He'll like go and play acoustic guitar for her parents when like she's not home or anything. Like as a, an adult. Um, and like go have showers at her parents' <laughs> house. Adult. Yeah, like just not like not like waiting for her to get home from school. Like she, he just goes there. And um, yeah, so it just made me think of it because of this like – I'm sorry. Like, I should mean more to you than just, like, a passing whim. And, like, you can't just, like, break up with me and beg me. Like, there's emotions behind this. And this all means something to me in a way that it apparently doesn't for you. Like, I'm not a game that you are playing. Like, this is real life. Treat it as such, please. Um, And, like, the way he talked about her in this, like, Playboy interview or something was just like, oh, yeah, like... She's some great pussy. I can't even tell you. It's like napalm pussy or something. Like he really does not seem like a formidable man. But like just treating her as this like, yeah, this expendable piece of ass, I guess. And I mean, I think that's that's very easily tied into the greater themes too here, not only of expendability, but of these like roles that people are prescribed to fill. Uh, like with Britney Spears and her conservatorship and like the so the only thing I remember about Jessica Simpson was like that reality show that she had when she was married to Nick Lachey who was Nick Lachey 98 degrees and her comment about chicken of the the chicken of the sea not knowing what tuna is and like how that she actually did know what it was and that it was like a contrived thing that she said um because she had this image that she was filling as not being very bright. And, uh, you know, that's traditionally something that, that women have been forced to do for their own safety as well, too. Like, um, but it all it's all here. Like, yes. as ridiculous as maybe it sounds like it makes sense to me that, that you bring up that we bring up Princess Diana and Britney Spears and Jessica Simpson in the same realm because it's the same shit. It is the same shit. I'm so glad you don't think that that's crazy because it is the same fucking shit. It's us like conforming to these expectations and and the expectations aren't just by the way of the partner on you it's like the whole world yeah. conspiring oh, yeah. to like make yeah. you be this way um there's this section in the book where Jessica Simpson is talking about how like the the producers of that reality show newlyweds they would like play up her bimboness um throughout the house and she was like a, like a dumb bimbo and that's the character that she played and she was like, it was crazy because when the cameras weren't rolling anymore, I felt myself falling back into that role. So like once you're turning something on in your interactions with this person for long enough, it's not just a f- switch that you can flip off. It's It becomes you in this way that is fucked up. Do you think you can stop when you're ready for a change? Yeah. It's not just a switch yeah, that you yeah, can yeah. flip off. It's not. It's not. 
And that's exactly what I think she's talking about here is like you engage if you are engaging in these horribly violent behaviors. That's not just something that you can stop so easily. Like you are changing the way that you interact, not just with me, but with every woman, every person yeah. that you're going to meet for the rest of your life. Yep. And and making these decisions, like making treating a whole series of women as expendable in the way that you've been doing isn't without consequences. Like this is affecting yeah. you and how you are able to interact with women yeah. in the future, um, how you're able to envision a relationship. Like these things have consequences. And I think that's so clear in the way that he, in the way that Angela Carter is describing him uh, in the first part of the story as wearing a mask. And then when he returns and immediately knows what's gone wrong, yeah. um, um, the line here is, oh. <laughs> the monocle had fallen from his face. His curling mane was disordered as if he had run his hands through it in his distraction. I saw how he had lost his impassivity and was now filled with suppressed excitement. Yes. The hand he stretched out for those counters in his game of love and death shook a little. The face that turned towards me contains a somber delirium that seemed to be compounded of ghastly, yes, shame, but also of a terrible, guilty joy as he slowly ascertained how I had sinned. And, like, this sin is defined by him. Yeah. Yep. It's disgusting. That's so well written, but also so disgusting, the idea that he's excited about it. Because, like, him having treated all the previous wives like this has, like, done this thing to him where it, like, makes him anticipate. He's like, ooh, I know what's next. I've seen this before. And, like, now that's what brings me pleasure, right? Like, now that's what... I love this part where I get to tell you how you sinned or I get to like show you yeah. that I know. Um, yeah. Oh Lord, the world is so heavy and dark. Um, it's also very interesting to me that the ways that she, that the narrator of Go Long is uh, presenting to the person that she's talking to, <clears throat> the ways of saving him are these like, again like paradigmatically feminine things so she's not it's not this like gender neutral place that she's coming from where she's like hey look I know you're being affected by this she's also coming from this very like like quote-unquote sick place sick like in the sense that you're also totally uh permeated with these gender things too where like I want to have your children and I want to take care of you um and like be like, you know, this like taking care of figure for you to save you uh, in order to like fill this hole, <laughs> this masculine hole in your heart, right? Um, that That's interesting too. Like that also doesn't seem like it's going to work super well to like fulfill whatever it is that needs fulfilling here. Whatever fixing this relationship needs doesn't seem like it's like, let's just let me perform my gender expectations better. Yeah. Also, I the tenderness in the beautiful children is still like 
like I love you. You're beautiful to me. Like your children are going to be beautiful. It's like it's just filled with love there too to me. Yeah, because I think at least in the the Angela Carter version, there is space for that. Yeah. Like at least at the beginning, there is, you know, if he hadn't made these choices, if he hadn't taken the same steps, the same pattern to destroy everything um, and create this like fantasy of the chamber for himself, um, maybe at the beginning there was space for them to have a happy ending and for him to make a different choice, for him to flip that switch the other way. Yeah. Um, one of the most fucked up things as I'm reading through my notes about the Angela Carter story too, remember when she talks about, and it's mentioned many, many times, the mirrors in the bedroom? Oh my fucking God. That shit. Right? Yes, man. It is haunting. So it's first mentioned when he first brings her to like their marriage bed. Yeah. Where they are to consummate their marriage. Yeah. And she walks into the room and the room is described as covered in mirrors. So she sees herself <gasps> so small, but she sees a dozen versions of herself. Yeah. Um, which to me just immediately like uh, mirrored all of the bodies that he has yes. and all of the times he has done this. Yes. Um, she sees herself as one of many. One of many, exactly. And it comes back again when, uh, and consent here is obviously a huge yes. fucking issue, yeah. but like when they are eventually consummating the marriage and she looks up and in all of the mirrors sees a dozen of him coming towards her to take what he believes is his. Like, it's so fucked up. It's so fucked up, man. That part haunted me. By the way, she's like 17 years old. It's terrible. Yes. But she like yeah. talks about like I watched 12 versions of myself getting undressed by him. Like 12 yes. scared me's yeah. like looking up at him. I could see it. And like just the image of that is so terrifying. And I think that at least for me, it feels in keeping with the theme of like she starts to feel solidarity with the other women that have come yes. before her. Yes. Yeah, as this like slow entry point into that, even though these are all her, she's like, oh shit, though. Like, like, uh, I don't know. There's something about that that's just so scary. Oh. So this part, I saw him watching me in the gilded mirrors with the assessing eye of a connoisseur inspecting horse flesh, Ugh. or even of a housewife in the market inspecting cuts on the slab. Ugh. Disgusting. So gross. Um, the next day we were married. <laughs> <laughs> Please go and read this start this, this yeah. story, guys, because like it's worth it. If you can't tell, we're <laughs> both. Like, I haven't even talked about like the Margaret Atwood one, or the Edna St. Vincent Millay one, or like any of the other dozen ones, because this one is so fucked up. It's so fucked up. I'm just um I just searched for the word mirror in here. Because I just know that there are some really haunting descriptions that I want to oh find more of. Um. And I, I caught so sight of myself in the mirror and I saw myself suddenly as he saw me. Yeah. My pale face, the way my, mo the, 
the way the muscles on my neck stuck out like a thin wire. I saw how much that cruel necklace became me, and for the first time in my innocent and confined life, I sensed myself a pit. You, know, you read this for corruption that took my breath away. And we didn't talk about like the necklace that he makes for oh. of rubies too. Like, Bleh. His wedding gift clasped around my throat, a choker of rubies two inches wide, like an extraordinarily precious slit throat. When she first gets the ruby necklace, she's like, this looks like a slit throat. This is like exactly yeah. where she... Oh, it's intentional. It's, yeah, exactly. Okay, so Sam just sent me the exact quote that I was looking for because it's just so like bone shivery crazy. So Carter writes, And there lay the grand hereditary matrimonial bed, itself the size almost of my little room at home, with the gargoyles carved on its surfaces of ebony, vermilion, lacquer, gold leaf, and its white gauze curtains billowing in the sea breeze, our bed. And surrounded by so many mirrors, mirrors on all the walls in stately frames of contorted gold that reflected more white lilies than I had ever seen in my life before, he'd filled their room with them to greet the bride, the young bride, the young bride who had become that multitude of girls I saw in the mirrors, identical in their chic navy blue tailor-maids for traveling, madame, or walking. A maid had dealt with the furs. Henceforth, a maid would deal with everything. But exactly that like this myself who would become this multitude of girls. Just like, oh, I see myself now as this like replaceable, expendable thing that is no different than all of the people that have come before me. And the lilies and are also so kind of the lilies and also implicates the maid too. Yeah, I was wondering about their roles in that. Um, that unless all of this violence takes place in the chamber where no one is allowed, that someone is cleaning the blood from the carpet. Yeah. And uh, even and it, I'm assuming it's not him. No. And even if it is all in the chamber, it's like you see the girl in the house who's never allowed to leave. Where mm-hmm. could she have fucking gone? Like, I'd be That's, suspicious. That was, where do they go? I don't. That was such a huge question. How does the staff... <laughs> I mean, they're paid. Like, yeah, that's the that, thing. yeah, exactly. In a time where money is so hard to come by and it's so hard to make a living and like feed your family, feed yes. yourself, like whatever. I don't blame anyone no. for taking the money. Me either. But but they knew. They must have known. Yeah, exactly. I think that's right. Ugh. It's so gross, but I think that's right. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Before we stop, actually, can I just yeah. say this one thing that explains my Before. background? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Or that at least we'll start to, and I'll probably I'll try to do some research on this before we come back next week. Um, but one of the things I had meant to say this in the first verse, which is only two verses ago now, <laughs> when we were talking about um, like potential Eastern themes that are happening in this song. Um, the only other point in this song at which genius was semi helpful to me was this and let me just find the actual annotation here because it blew my mind oh here okay yes so in the seat of the west is the thing it's annotating thank you for your patience (laughs) um so uh the reason it's an annotation to this is not even very relevant but it's about her positioning the um east and westness of the album as a as a theme 
or the East and West theme as a thing that's going on in the album. And they mentioned that there is odalisque imagery um, at the start of the song and on the album cover. And first of all, I didn't know that word. Second, like, I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm just doing it the French way because it's the only way I know. But I was like, what is that? So I looked up the word odalisque. Um, so O-D-A-L-I-S-Q-U-E. And basically, it's just a, um, like, female sex slave, <laughs> um, basically. Or, like, a, a concubine is, like, another um, sort of definition. A chambermaid or a female attendant. Um, but um, uh, particularly in the... Uh, in Turkey, I guess. In a Turkish Saraglio. Saraglio. Um particularly the court ladies in the household of the Ottoman Sultan. And I was like, okay, so I'm curious because like it, uh, it's a not a far leap for me at least to be like, oh, there's some like, if not sex slave, like women being used for their body shit happening throughout this whole album that is not hard for me to yes. get on board with. So mm -hmm. I just looked up at like what imagery – are they talking about? And on the Wikipedia page for Odalisk, it all just looks to me now that I now that that person drew this to my attention, like the cover of Have One on Me. It is. Do you see it? Yes. Like a woman, like sort of sultrily, sultrily laid out on like a divan or like a bed or like mm -hmm. a long, um, uh, like chaise longue or something like that, and um. Like sort of in this like yeah like seductive seductive-ish position, like surrounded by yeah. things. Yeah, exactly. Too. Like in most of these, it's like really intricate, beautifully made pillows. There's even a screen in this yeah. one. There's a screen with birds on it. In the one, yeah, exactly. Yes, in the one I have as my background. Oh, she has like a fan with peacock feathers, which is to me like I mean peacock on have one on me and then I think doesn't Joanna have like a a fan in her hand does she not am I making that up hang on let's see and if you scroll down to the end of that Wikipedia article too there's the one a reclining odalisque odalisque painted by Gustave Leonard de Hong um, okay, give me and one. there's like this this folding screen in the background that looks so much like the one that she has, and that I know Andy Samberg has had in the background. Yes, of, of like his, his yes his interviews recently. Yes, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, yes, it looks so much like the one that she has, and uh, to me, I was just like, oh, this just doesn't seem like a coincidence. Like it's just so. There's no way. Yeah, which. Then I'm like, okay, well, now I have some research to do. Like, I want to look into the, I don't know, similarities. And um, can you, my, the resolution on the picture I'm looking at, do you have the album, like, in front of you right now? I don't, but oh, I Oh, it's can. okay. It's okay. Don't worry about it then. I'll talk to you about it next time. I just can't see if she has anything in her hand. Is there a fan in her hand or is it, like, a triangular-shaped something near her head? Um, how the images on Google are crap. <laughs> they're so bad. It looks like there's a vase beside her with some kind of like floral thing that's fanning out. Yeah. 
Um, she's not holding it though. No, I don't. Think it she doesn't is. look. Oh, <laughs> she has a wine glass in her right hand. Oh, it's a wine it glass. It looks like. And then her left hand is like dangling off the couch. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, okay. we can do an entire episode about <laughs> this album art, too. I don't think we plan to do that, but like we can go through every fucking thing on this couch and on the floor. I think I remember Joanna saying, I just dragged a bunch of the shit that I owned into a room. Yeah. And I'm like, How, you yeah. own all this? Like, what? Your house yeah, must be But the be way awesome. she's posed, yeah. even just comparing it in these Wikipedia pictures, is uh, like it's almost identical yeah. to some of them. Yeah. Which um, I was really stoked to see because I had never heard of this or like made this connection at all. Um, cool. And I love just the comparison of like, you know, these women who are being used for their bodies, but like also get shit, but like get to live more lavish lives because of the way that men are using them for their bodies. So I'm mm-hmm. going to look into that more um, before our next recording. But I just wanted to flag that as like the other thing that I had found that explains my Zoom background for the week. Yeah, Nikki has a very beautiful Odalesque background, and I have, like, an illustration of um, the heads hanging from hooks in the chamber. Terrifying. So different vibes, but... <laughs> but both equally valid ones. Okay, Sam, you're the best. Thank you for recording with me. I cannot wait to do the next one. I'm going to read Bluebeard's Egg before then and do some more research. Okay, so that does it for part two of Go Long. We will be back next week with part three. And who knows how many parts of Go Long we will continue with afterwards, but probably a shit ton. Um, Okay, yeah, so we have a Patreon. I will link to that in the show notes. Check it out for bonus episodes and early releases. We have a Facebook group, Hopeless Endeavor. Uh, an Instagram handle which is a hopeless endeavor podcast check all that out email us at a hopeless endeavor at gmail.com we are always down to hear your guys' thoughts and theories and thank you so much for listening bye